I learned that from my grandma. When I was 16, I was living with her in Longview, Washington. And her and I had the delightful deliciousness of gossiping about other family members. And so we were doing that this particular day. We were washing dishes and laughing about everybody else in the family. But grandma says to me that day, she goes, baby, mama gonna go sit in the chair. I'm getting tired. You finish up these dishes. I said, okay, mama. So she goes sit in her chair, this big old oversized chair she sat in there. And I'm still gossiping about whoever we was talking about. Yeah, and another thing. Ain't that right, mama? And I'm laughing. But I noticed that I didn't hear my grandma laughing. And I was like, Mama, ain't that, that? And I turned around, and what I saw, I was not prepared for at all. My grandma was sitting in the chair, and her hands were clenching on the arms of the chair. I mean, digging in. And she was crying so hard that her skin had turned red. And she was sweating from crying. It looked like somebody had put oil and water and washed her whole face. It was shiny. And I said, Mama! And I ran over to her, what is wrong? And she would try to tell me, but the emotion of her crying was so just deep and hard that when she would try to have the words, it would just come out like a sputter. Finally, she got up enough energy or whatever the heck. And she said, I didn't do half of what I wanted with my life. Hearing someone you love, someone that's a part of your history, your bloodline history, the older version of your bloodline say to you, I didn't do half of what I wanted with my life. It does something to your soul. Thank you for listening to Dreamweavers, the podcast of people in their dream jobs and how they got to where they are. My name's Harris Newman. The guest is Coco Leary. Coco recently wrote a book is called From Welfare to the White House. Um, it describes just that. So not long ago, she was raising four kids by herself, making $742 per month. Through a string of pretty wild circumstances, um, really almost too crazy to be true, she found herself working on Capitol Hill, uh, working in uh, Senator Maria Cantwell's office. So in our conversation, Coco talks about her journey, which is really quite amazing because like, there was no blueprint for it. Nothing exists that teaches you, at least in her case, how to go from welfare to living a really comfortable and promising, <laughs> promising lifestyle. So she talks about um, that story, as well as a few other really golden nuggets. Um, one of them is a quote that I first heard from her. She said, don't look for a job, look for who you are. We get into exactly what that means. And she also, she blows my mind pretty early on in the conversation. We're talking about why do certain businesses or certain people, certain ideas, why do they just explode? What's the sort of ignition what what happens that just where people will pay anything to experience it and i think coco does a great job at identifying what that is and how other people can um 
achieve the same thing in their lives as well. So, um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Coco is a special person who I hope to be in touch with for the rest of my life. Um, when you finish, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send a message, email, Facebook, blurb, tweet, whatever. Um, I'd love to hear from you. So, I will let her take it from here. Enjoy. I have a passion. Like a lot of people, we have a passion. I have, I have a passion. What's that? My passion is empowering people, you know, helping people discover who they are deep down inside. Yeah. I, I have this thing, a story that I tell about when I was a little girl. And my roller skates. <laughs> oh, baby. We're going to start something now. Light the match. <laughs> God dang it. I was so empowered by my roller skates when I was a little girl. It was something about the roller skates. Oh my god. With every loop of the lacing up of the rocket that would be the roller skate. And when I got to the top loop and I tied the knot and I put my foot down on the ground. It was like I could feel the throttle and the power, and I'd kick off, and boom, I'm gone to another galaxy, <laughs> and I'm zoom, and boy, when it make that skirt sound, when you go to make a turn, yeah. I was so dead gum powerful, mm. the sidewalk was mine. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it, I work to help people go back to that whatever their roller skates are when they are seven and a half years old. What was it at that point in time that you did in your land of fun, if you will, mm -hmm. pun intended, because we're talking about fun, mm -hmm. in your land of fun, was it your roller skates? Was it your bike? Was it your skateboard? Was it your basketball? Was it your soccer ball? Was it your kite? Was it your freaking rubber band puzzles that you made? What what was it? Was it your ant farm? Whatever it was, what was it that made you feel invincible when you were doing it? Yeah. When you can get back to that, then you can bring that same feeling into your businesses and you will explode. Because I, I could imagine people thinking, okay, when I was seven, I enjoyed building Legos. But I can't build Legos and I don't want to be an architect. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Or like, how does, how does roller skates tie into what you're doing now? It's the feeling. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> It's the feeling, okay? It's the feeling. Yeah. Maybe you're not building Legos right now, but what is something that you do as an adult now that gives you that same feeling that you had when you were working with Legos when you were a child? When I was on my roller skates, it's the feeling. What gives me that adrenaline push so much that I feel like the kid again but this time, I'm the kid doing what I love doing. It's empowering other people. And yeah, it's giving me an ROI. <laughs> Thank God. Hey! <laughs> That's the whole 
whole thing. I'm happy to hear that. The, yeah, and that's the whole thing is that it is going to give you a return on your investment, but it's going to be something that other people are going to want to duplicate as well. They're going to want what you have. They're going to want. Why do you think people want you in the room with them? It, you know, they want you to be, they want to be in your presence. They want to be around you. They love to hear you talk because there's something in your core that is your Zoom. And you're talking from your Zoom. Zoom? My roller skates were uh. my Zoom. <laughs> I put them, I laced them slippers up. I put my foot on the ground. Now push and vroom. And I own the sidewalk. And the interesting thing is, as a kid, I wasn't being paid for it. I just loved it. Right. So when people are working their businesses, and and I'm not saying that people don't work your businesses. I'm not saying that. I'm saying really look at who you are and find out if the business that you're doing is really your superhero on the inside. If it's not, do another business. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Why? Because life's short, right? Yeah, life is short, and there are so many people that are living in skins that are not connected to their bones. Oh my God! They're living in skins that are not connected to their bones. People are. A lot of people follow the money. And believe me, I love money like anybody else, but I'd rather make money doing what I absolutely love to do mm -hmm. than to just be doing what I need to do to make money. Right. Well, that feeling. That feeling. Because that feeling is like... Oh, my God. It's priceless. It is. I mean, because if you have that feeling, you can do... You can be the best of the best. Yeah. When you know, Why do we worship people so much? Like the Oscars and everything. You know, I think of Samuel L. Jackson. Right. I love Samuel L. Jackson, and sometimes he can look like a mean person, putting it politely, you know, and his characters and his face and everything, but what is it that we love about these people? You know what it is? It's that in their glory of doing what they love doing, which in their case is acting, mm -hmm. you know, and they're great at it. They're great at it because it's their Zoom. It's their Zoom. And they knew all along it was their Zoom. And they'll tell you, they can't tell you how many parts they lost. How many people said, no, you're not good enough for this part. No, we don't. you don't match this part. They kept Zooming. Yeah. And then one day in the world of their Zoom, they blew up. And when they blew <clears throat> up, we got to see them. And then all of a sudden, we fell in love with them. And then all of a sudden, all the people that told them that this part wasn't for them, that they weren't good enough for this and that, or they went to pray, all of a sudden, those people were like, dang, how did we really overlook that person so much? They were in their Zoom. We worship people who are actively in their Zoom. Yeah. We look at superstars, super athletes, Super motivator, super everybody, and we're like, wow, they're so cool. And I'll also tell you, from my perspective as well, mm -hmm. that it's because they're having fun. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. They're having fun. They love what they're doing. It's fun. It's, it's like, their Zoom. Like, you watch someone who's just a masterful basketball player, masterful filmmaker, artist, when you're... You want to watch them do it because they're like, 
they're having fun. The world's the world doesn't exist, and you just want to like eat that up. Like I want to be in the same room as that. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> to the point where they brought out HBO, home box office. You can have them in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. So how do you um, how do you find your Zoom? I guess there's two steps, right? It sounds like one, and sorry to answer for you. But no, like, I'm listening to you. Okay. There's, because I guess there's two questions. Because there's one, what was it at that age? You have to, you have to reconnect with that feeling. Mm-hmm. And then two, what is it now? Absolutely. What can you do now that gives you that same feeling? That feeling, because I try not to ramble too much on these things. Mm-hmm. It's about you. No, but please. Because people buy feeling they don't buy the thing they buy what's behind it and whether they know it or not whether they know it or not when they're buying it that's what they're buying buying and that's why you come back to the same writers the same fashion designers Mm -hmm. because you know you're getting them you're getting a piece of them in it okay so back to my question you are nailing it you are freaking nailing it well you're sending you're you're making the wheels turn you're doing what you do. This is, this is what you do. <laughs> this is what I do. It is, it is, it is. You're buying the feeling. Because something in that person, place, and or product is giving you that feeling that comes back to when you were a kid playing with Legos. Or when you were a kid with roller skates. Or whatever. There's something in there that tastes similar to that. Yes. Yes. Now the interesting thing about it is... If there's something in that that tastes similar to your childhood like Zoom, what would happen if you took that feeling that you know seems to make you feel really good and you keep going back for more and you realize that the feeling is really coming from the inside of you Mm. being pulled out by something that resembles Something that interests you in a passionate way so much that reminds you of that feeling. So that means everything is inside of you. Basically, when you're purchasing that service, product, event, or time, you're purchasing yourself. So as adults, we start to try and buy that feeling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because we seem to forget that it's on the inside already. But we forget that that feeling is on the inside of us. So we go and try and purchase it. We're going to purchase things, clothes, timeshares, whatever the heck we're doing. We're going to do things because of the emotional attachment we have to it. That emotional attachment or physical need makes it important. It gives it purposeful meaning. What we seem to forget is that all of that is coming from the inside of us. What are we really thirsty for? And then if we think about what we're thirsty for and how good we feel when we get say, a chance to quench our thirst. It's the quenching of the thirst that is really the passion that we're supposed to be building a business around. But instead, we're really, a lot of times, trying to purchase webinars or how-tos or whatever of something that's already on the inside of us. Already our Zoom. So when you say people spend countless hours on their business and they say they don't hardly have any time because maybe they're working it for, may I dare I say it, the wrong reason. Hmm. 
you know. I just work from a real passionate core of bringing that deep inner person out for people so that they don't spend their whole life existing so that they still got time to push a do-over button. You still have time to push a do-over button. At any age. At any age. Why are you still breathing? because I was desperately looking for someone to do it for me. And when I realized I couldn't find anyone to do that, you see, okay, now we're gonna get into my story some. Coming from Welfare Not Check Not some, let's get, let's get all. <laughs> welfare Check Parvati. I could not find anyone to help me live. All I could do was exist. And you know what that existing was? Pray to God every month that welfare check hits in the mail. Mm -hmm. Pray to God every month I can get a bus pass from social services. Pray to God around Christmas time that I can get with St. Vincent de Paul, Salvation Army, and get on the Christmas list so my kids can have some Christmas presents. So you had four kids? Four children, yes I do, yes. By yourself? By myself, mm -hmm. And we lived off a welfare check of $742 a month for a family of five. And I kept looking for someone to please show me a blueprint, give me a model. No one had one. No one had a model or a blueprint to show me how to thrive, to show me how to live out loud, to show me how to enjoy my life and how, how to feel like I was as good as anybody else. No one had that. Every time I asked a social worker or someone, they would kind of look at me a little funny and they'd be like, oh my God, I." I we don't have no programs for what you're talking about. We don't have no programs for what you're talking about. What do you mean? I wanted to be able to cross out of poverty into middle-class America. Oh, their program. Yeah. There was like, no, we know how to keep you fed. Yeah. But we don't, we don't know have, how to, like, no. get you extra money no. to, like, go on trips and stuff. Or to even get you in a position where you have truly a livable wage. Oh, let's scratch that. Don't say livable wage. Where you have a career that will allow you to be able to go and get a mortgage for a house so that you won't always have to live off of section eight rental subsidies we don't have pro we don't have we don't have programs to give you but we have for ourselves so how how did you do it <laughs> Yeah, how did I do it, right? Right. We got plenty of time. So exactly, we can go there. We can go there. Pull up an extra chair. We can go there. How did I do it? I got extremely desperate because I I knew me and my kids were in an hourglass, okay, and I knew every day that I got up, sands of time was shifting. We were shifting to the bottom of our hourglass, and there was if we got if we went through the little hole. With the last of the sand, the slippery emotional glass, we would never be able to climb back up. And I knew it. I knew it from the bottom of my heart. Oh my God. And I'd look at my kids and I knew that all I could offer them was drowning. I knew that's all I was giving them was drowning. I knew that I might as well tuck them up in bed put something over chloroform or something over their nose and let them go in their sleep. Because I had nothing to give them. 
We couldn't talk about college. How was I going to pay for it? We couldn't, I mean, we did, you know, we talked about it, but in in all reality, how was, you can, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. How am I going to give these, because these kids are getting older year by year. How am I going to prepare them to be adults? How am I going to help them in this world that doesn't even see us? Right. And you were, you were working. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. But I was never, and even when I was, I was being a teacher, daycare teacher assistant. I was never working anything beyond minimum wage whenever I did get a job, working in a nursing home or something. Hmm. And they were never jobs that fed my soul. They were always jobs that seemed to remind me that I was less than. When I would work in the daycare, I would see little kids being dropped off to me dressed in the cutest little tutus and the cutest little shoes and cute. Their parents had good jobs. You know, they were administrators at hospitals and all kind of stuff. Mm. And I was taking better care of their kids than I was of my own. And I would see these kids in cute little coats and everything. And they were well, they, they were guaranteed to have story time because mm. I was going to read the stories to them. They were guaranteed to be able to play in puzzles because the daycare was going to provide wonderful puzzles for them. They were guaranteed to play and dress up and be whoever they wanted to be because it was there. Right. I couldn't give that to my kids. So, the desperateness, I knew we were in an hourglass and I knew we were running out of time. And I knew that I was the only person, I was the only oracle in my kids' life they look to me for expectation and guidance and what if. Hmm. And I knew I didn't have answers to those. I was asking the people that were in my realm that I thought had the authority to give me the answers and I was getting back. We really don't have anything to help you do that. So I got really desperate. And I wrote a letter to a CEO of a big company company corporation she's mega millionaire I read about her in a magazine and it was the working mother's magazine her name is Dina Dwyer Owens of the Dwyer group and I love her to death in fact I'll show you me and her the picture on the cover of my phone is me her and her executive secretary my screensaver there there we are that was that was back in 2004 and I was at her company Wait. That's you? That's me. Oh, wow. You look so different. Ah, poor. <laughs> poor as hell. <laughs> poor as hell. <laughs> oh, that's great, though. So She's weird. on the left. Yeah, that's her right there in the pink. And that's her executive secretary, Carol, oh. in the green and black. And they are the cover to my phone screensaver wallpaper on my cell phone with that picture. And I, I'm able to look at them all the time, but I'm always in contact with them anyway. But I read about her. Why the children were napping when I was working in a daycare. Hmm. And I was doing magazine cutout art, which is where you find a big old picture of a Hidden Valley Ranch broccoli. And you rip that page out and they get to glue it to a paper plate and make a collage and take it home to mommy and daddy. I did tons of broccoli oh my pasting gosh. when I was Look a kid. Look at you So you know I'm telling the truth. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh my God. So this particular day, the darlings were sleeping. And I'm doing magazine cutout art for their favorite play collages. Because <laughs> you know that takes 
quite the competencies, right? That's critical thinking skills like you wouldn't believe. Critical thinking for your ass. Critical thinking, okay? <laughs> Get that paper up and then we glue it on that paper plate. I come across this magazine called Working Mother Magazine. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't even know they had magazines for working moms. And even though I had a... <sighs> whatever kind of ramp, ramp, ramp job, mm-hmm. I was still a working mom. I had kids, I was a mom, I was working. So the title of that magazine caught my attention, Working Mothers. Yeah. And Dina and two other women were on the cover, and it said three women who really know how to raise a ruckus. And I thought, boy, I could raise some holy cow manure right now. You don't even know. You don't even know. <laughs> Like, y'all think you can raise some records. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Sound like Bernie Mac. Let me tell you something. American, let me tell you something. So, I open it and read all the articles of all three of them, but Dina stood out the most because of what she said. She was telling the story of her and her family having dinner at an IHOP. And she said she was paying attention to the waitress, hustling, zoom, 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 working hard for tips. She said she thought to herself, that woman's feet must kill her at the end of her shift when she go home. She said when she got home, she couldn't get the waitress out of her mind. She said, and as she was putting on her pajamas, she thought to herself, well, if it's that hard for her, what must it be like for women on welfare? Shut the front door. I was like, You're like, are you talking to me? Dude, the oracle is spoken. I'm like, what? I'm like, I know I didn't read that right. Cutting that out, not for the plates. (laughs) No, I did a little bit better. I'm gonna tell you what I did. I didn't. Not cutting it out for the plate, but you. I'm gonna tell you what I did with that magazine. I read it again. I'm like, no, I'm not reading this right. I think I read it that line, that sentence about five times because I could not believe that someone had mentioned women on welfare in a magazine. God dang it. So I did the most utmost, noble, logical thing that anybody would do. I stole that magazine. Noble. <laughs> I don't recommend this. I'm going to put a disclaimer, y'all. Hey, they had enough pictures of broccoli. Cut out. Yeah, I was done with broccoli. I was done with that. You hear me? I done seen women in welfare in print. I can give a goddamn about broccoli or Hillshire Farms or anybody else up in their mother magazines. Macaroni and cheese. I ain't doing it. I'm taking this magazine home and I'm finding this lady. <laughs> Take the magazine home. I dialed 411 and got the physical address to her company. And I wrote her a letter. Where were they? They were in Waco, Texas. And you were in Washington? Yes, I was in Vancouver, Washington. Got it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that since she was such a big wig, you you know, she running this mega company, the chances of her getting my letter could be kind of slim because I felt like somebody most likely went through her mail before the mail got to her desk. Right. But I was like, I'm desperate. I said, God, if there's any way she can read this letter, please guide this letter to her hands. Well, from my mouth to God's ears. About two weeks later, I came home and the light was blinking on my answering machine. I wasn't even bothered with that mess. Because I knew it wasn't nobody but Clark Public Utilities talking about but I owe them money. I know I owe you money. You think you're the only one that knows that I owe you money? Get in line. There's about 15 other people I owe money to, too. And they've been leaving messages before you. So I got to do this in order. Right? So I'm not even pushing the stupid button because I'm like, that's all they did want money. So 
go through the routine of feeding the kids, homework, baths, everybody bed. And finally, late at night, I pushed the button and it was not Clark Public Utilities. No, it was a woman named Carol Dugat. She's in the green and she had a southern drawl. And she says, Cosette, my name is Carol Dugat. Nina got your letter and she wants to talk to you. Good God! Now, now see, now this cup of water has a purpose, y'all. I done got thirsty. <laughs> oh, yeah, that tastes good. A little parched, boy. Every time I talk about that, right, 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 right there. I just say, what? I rewound that message. Dana wants to talk to you. Good God. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, okay. 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 She read the Oh, okay. Okay. What do? What do? Take down the phone. I'm not realizing that Texas is two hours ahead of us. So I'm calling why they closed. <laughs> you just heard the message. You picked up the phone and started. So I keep leaving these voice messages. So finally, I come home again one day and the light is blinking and I push that sucker this time because shoot, it could be the winning lottery numbers for all I know. Now anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's Carol again and she goes, I think what's happening is a time difference. <laughs> she says, so Dina wants me to give you her email address and she wants to start talking, you know, corresponding with you through email. And I was like, okay, so me and Dina started emailing each other. And about two to two and a half months later, Dina flew me out to Waco, Texas as an honorary guest at her franchise board meeting. Hmm. And that's when I saw possibility that poverty did not have to have me by the jugular. She began to teach me new ideas, how to go and acquire higher education, higher learning. She said to me, you articulate extremely well. The first class I want you to take is a public speaking class. I said, what is articulate? (laughs) She said, oh, it means that you express how you feel very clearly and thoughtfully When you speak to someone, people are able to understand Mm -hmm. what you're trying to get across to them. I said, oh, you mean I talk good? She said, yes, you talk good. good. And that was the beginning of how I started to change my life. You see, the desperation afforded me the courage to totally go out of a comfort zone. To totally rip my heart wide open and say, this is me. Please, if you got any care in your mind and heart, pay attention to me. I am desperate. Is that what the letter said? Basically. mm -hmm. I was telling her, I'm a woman on welfare. I read about you in this magazine. I have four beautiful children, but I don't know what I'm going to give them in life. I don't even know what to give myself in life. You're talking about this waitress. You're talking about women on welfare. I need help. Would you please help me? I remember saying that to her. I need help. Will you please help me? That's how I was able to turn the page. It was because I, by chance, coincident, or divine design, I came across a magazine with an article about a woman who had a compassionate enough heart to read my letter and then send for me. Yes, for help. 
well it's the importance of being real mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we talked about fun yes before and i don't think the two were very far off they're not have you always been real weird question i'm gonna say no okay i'm gonna say no you might have thought i was gonna say yes i've always been real. no no because i was taught within our society status quo know your position do not be divergent so I wasn't always real. No, because I was taught that this is my social class that I'm in and these are my social class norms. Being real means being open enough and honest enough with yourself to know when where you're at is not where you belong. And that you were going to have to do something desperate to get out of that. You were going to have to shed that skin that is holding you hostage. So what does that mean? That means you were going to have to become real to yourself, to your desires, to your hopes, to your dreams, to your wants, to your needs. And a lot of times your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your wants, and your needs are not going to match where you're standing. Not not match your skin. You don't match the skin that you're in. Right. You got borrowed skin. Right. Okay. Well, you didn't choose that skin. You didn't choose that skin. That skin was put on you. Yeah, or you stepped into it. Somehow. Without knowing. Or... Without knowing. Somehow you've gotten in the skin. And the interesting thing about it is... You know that it's not the skin that belongs to you because it doesn't allow you to be real. Ooh, it doesn't fit. It doesn't yeah, fit. I want to do this, but I can't. Yeah, I'm not really being me. So no, I wasn't always real. I did not become real until life came to me and said it's time to get real. And that was when I realized that I was running out of room and that skin. I was outgrowing it and it was going to be tattered and torn. It was going to be looking pitiful on me. I wasn't going to fit it anymore. It wasn't going to be comfortable. And I was going to have to shed all of those things in that skin in order to be real. I became real when I decided to accept me and live for me and not for what people say I should be or could be or would be, or ought to be, or that I am, because that was everybody else's interpretation because they were seeing me in the wrong skin. That's their interpretation. And it's so easy to pay attention to that mm-hmm. as well. And there's some value, because some people give it to you real. Yes. Some people, I think they can see past the skin. Mm-hmm. Not many, mm-hmm. but I think some people can. Dina, who flew me out as an honorary board member guest, she saw my real skin. She read it in the letter, and she was compassionate enough to recognize it and say, she's in the wrong skin. And you were brave enough to show it. Yep. That's the biggest thing. Yep. That is the biggest thing. I often say to people, the world is so big, 
No one's going to know you until you introduce yourself to it. You've got to stand up and say, this is me. Take it or leave it. This is me. <laughs> this is me. This is me over here. This is the M.E. This is the M.E. Get it. Bounce, bounce, bounce. This is the M.E. Get it. Get it. You know, it's like you have to go ahead and tell the world, this is me. And then be courageous enough to follow up with that. One of people, you know how people used to say, what is playing on your iPhone or your whatever? You want to know what is always on mine? Eminem, lose yourself. Oh my God, that's my anthem. That's my song from his movie, Eight Miles. Yeah. If you listen to that, you know, it was like he, the intro, he's talking about, you know, if you had that one opportunity, you know, that once, that, you know, would you just, would you go after it or would you just let it slip through your hands? We are our opportunity. We are our one opportunity. And despite what anyone has ever said to any of us, if they said you weren't pretty enough, you weren't handsome enough, you weren't skinny enough, you weren't thick enough, you weren't smart enough, you, whatever people said and then whatever we told ourselves, it's time to get out of that old skin. Because the real you is every bit of everything that the world and you have said you are not. But it's inside the old skin and you got to take it off and stand up and be yourself. Be yourself. Now, because yeah, we talked about the postcards yes, before this interview. Exactly. And they all say be be yourself, mm-hmm. right? Be the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yet it seems to not be as easy as it sounds because everyone says it yet it seems like a lot of people are still wearing the skin. They are. Quote. Because it's not easy. It's very hard. It's got to be impossible. How do you rip off your own skin? You put yourself first. You put yourself first. You you decide to yourself that you're going to do whatever it takes to fulfill your dream. To get back to your Zoom. To be that person that you are on the inside. Despite what is on the outside of you. And it takes an enormous amount of courage. I mean... The amount of courage it took for me to do it, I knew I was on the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I'm supporting four kids and myself off a $742 welfare check, Mm -hmm. taxpayer money coming into my mailbox so that we can eke out an existence. Mm -hmm. I knew that society saw me as not an asset, but a burden. The courage it took for me to take $20 from my light bill and go to Ross department store and buy a suit for $19.99, you know, and put that suit on and throw some hair conditioner and water in my hair for these curly curls and walk up to someone and say that I'm more than the resume and I need to talk to you. And that's exactly what I did. Yes, the postcard will say, be the red flower in a field of gray flowers. And people will say all, people will say all kinds of things because people like to say things that make people feel good. People like to read things that make them feel good. But taking the actual action is a fear factor. There are so many people that have been overachievers Hmm. and people marvel at their accomplishments. A lot of times they are overachievers because they are trying to prove something to themselves so much. They are trying to find 
where they fit in. They are trying to find where they can be established and good in their own skin. And they just keep going after, keep going after. And it goes back to, like we were talking originally, where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in any of this? But people, we are inducted into a society that says you need to have this, this, and this in order to be posh enough to be savvy. Mm -hmm. For me, I knew I wasn't savvy at the time in my economic circumstances. I was poor. And there was no savviness in that. But I knew I had to have enough courage to go and introduce myself to the world and ask for help. Mm. Ask for help. And yes, it will take some critical thinking on your part, anybody's own individual part, because you have to know what you want and need. And then you have to take what you want and need and find the areas and resources to go and get that. Whether that is reading about somebody in a magazine and writing them, whether it's listening to someone's blog and reaching out to them on a subject that they talked about that resonated with you. Hmm. Whatever it is, it's putting yourself first enough to put yourself out there. You gotta put yourself first enough to be willing to put yourself out there and know that you deserve the time, the effort. Like you said, somebody's gonna say, well, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not, and I'm not going to sit up here on this blog and be like, yes, and for 19.95, if you get my book right now, I'll throw in an extra this, like we said earlier, a flashlight. No, <laughs> no, it's not easy because you are pulling out of the skin that was put on you. You're ripping out of that, and that is not going to be easy because that skin is thick. It is hard. You've hidden behind it. You, you know, your wounds are on it. Your scars are on it. And though it's uncomfortable, you at least know how to move around in it. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what the new skin is going to look like. I and know. You're not, you don't know, like, how that looks. Nope. <laughs> you don't. You don't know how that looks. Shoot, it might look like spandex. <laughs> You don't, know, you don't know what that look like. Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe it is spandex. Maybe it is. And maybe it's spandex so you can be stretchable. <laughs> Who knows? But we really deserve to live a life according to our personal design. And that does take courage. And that does take a lot of work. But the thing about it, we're worth the work. And we owe ourselves the courage because you can just about bet your bottom dollar again back to all the people that we seem to admire so much for their talents and their gifts and their attributes and their sensationalism they all kept ripping away at the skin that didn't match them until they grew all the way out of it and got what they wanted what they needed and now we see them in life and a lot of things. And they write books, they make movies, they do music, all kind of things. But if you go and talk to them and ask them, who were you before we knew your name? They can give you some very interesting stories of eating pork and beans out of a can on the regular, let me tell you. <laughs> but they kept doing it. You just have to keep doing it. You have to keep knowing that at the end of the day, you are your best marketing tool you are you and you have a better skin underneath the skin that has been placed on you you got to come out of that skin 
I'm not going to tell you it's going to feel good all the time. It's not. But I will tell you one thing. As you continue on and you be so true to what is really good for you and what you really want to do in your life, the things that we will pay for, hmm. you know, to fill that temporary moment. When you start building that around your core and your Zoom and who you are on the inside, after a while, you become comfortable in that skin. Hmm. And you become better. And believe it or not, wait for it, you become invincible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because I'm telling you, I'm from welfare check to everything I have now. But I don't forget how hard it was. It was extremely hard, but I was working. That's too much of your life, I has worked 40 years in the medical field and has great expertise and she's much older now kids are grown and all that and I said to her because she had to her position where she was working they discontinued that type of care and she was out of a job I said to her I said have you ever thought about taking all those years of medical experience that you have and going abroad you know, go to Haiti or go to Singapore or go anywhere, India, and take that knowledge and those skills and all of that triageness that you have inside of your hands and use it in a different environment. You would be in demand. You would meet people from around the world. You would walk through fields of grass that you wouldn't even imagine. You may even be able to look at an elephant up close. Whatever, you got it in the palm of your hand. And she said, I can't do that. And I said, why? She said, well, got my kids and my grandkids and the house. And I just leaned back in my chair. I didn't say any more. It's a mindset. Because you see, you're going to have those kids no matter what. Nothing, you being across the globe is not going to change that you still mama. <laughs> but the difference is you would be able to come back with awesome gifts for your grandkids, recipes they wouldn't believe, pictures and stories. You might even be able to convince them to come out for two weeks. You will live out loud. But we seem too often, back to the or a lot of our original topics, me and you are talking about trapped in our status quo we don't we won't do that because if we if we do that that means we have to give up this and there's no roi yeah but the thing about it like i said when you punch your final time clock and you're in a really beautiful casket and everything else you're not gonna get to be able to say well wait 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 before you close that casket lid i know how to go have adventure now and how about if you do, you're going to be the richest person on the planet. Because people are going to be like, how do you come back from the dead just before we put you in the ground? <laughs> you know, you know they be like, oh my God. So That's my next interview guest. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
family, okay, dang? And let me be around because I need to see what they did. So I just, I don't know. I guess everything that I'm saying, that we're talking about, me and you today, goes back to that Zoom. And what are we willing to do for our personal Zoom? What are you really willing to do for you? For you. We have labels. We're moms, dads, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, best friends, husband, wives, best partners. You know, we're all. But who are you? And all the things that tell you otherwise. Mortgage, kids, doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Who am I going to know? Um, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. It's all old skin. It's old skin. And the fact that you have to even ask yourself all those questions is telling you it's old skin. Now I think I see how you get through old skin. You got to move through it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it comes off... Intent is great. (laughs) Yes. And think, you know, doing some reflecting on it and kind of seeing... First, that like I I am not wearing the skin that I I actually really want to wear, mm-hmm. that I truly well. Yeah, wearing something else, um, but you really shed it. I think through action. There it is. Boom, baby! You nailed it. Ah! <laughs> Get it now through action. There it is. <sighs> through action. <laughs> Two eggs and a stick of butter. Get in! <laughs> Boy, you can make a cake. Pound cake right there. Pound cake right Boom. there. Shoot. Pound cake. Pound cake. Stick of butter. And it, and it is. You're right. It's taking the action. Yeah. I had a... Um, I was on a walk one day. The thought came up that we're here to have fun. Mm-hmm. We're here to play. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know if there's much beyond that. Like, I think that's that's it. <laughs> like, talk about a purpose of life. <laughs> Why are we here? Who are we? And I, I think we're I think we're here to just have fun. Mm-hmm. And then if we're not having fun, we got to figure out a way. Yeah. For a, a mother of four, making $742 a month, mm-hmm. we got to find a way to have some fun. Yeah. And it's not going to be with that check. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> that that check is not going to cover the fun, okay? It's not going to cover the fun. There's one more question I wanted to ask just because um, it's relevant to me right now and hopefully it is to someone else. Mm-hmm. It was that story you sent me, um, the one you emailed, mm-hmm. the newspaper article. Mm-hmm. And you said, don't look for a job. Don't look for a job. Look for who you are. That's right. How do you discover that? You discover who you are by what you want the most. And everybody knows what they want the most. And most of the time, what you want is the permission and the tools to use your talents. And most people want to be able to use their talents to make a living. But how do you do that? Right. How do you use your talents to make a living? And people often get caught up in that more so than just using their talents to make a living. 
Again, I'm not going to sit up here and say it's easy. You've got to have a strategic plan. I've heard people say, well, you don't have to have a plan. The universe and everything else will bring it to you. I say, have a plan. Because especially if you're starting from the rock bottom part of your life, realize that you need to eat. Okay, we need to eat. Sometimes we get thirsty and we prefer to have a roof over our head than a leaky tree. Okay, so there are some things that we need to have in place for our comfort or semi-comfortable existence. Okay. So once you've covered your comfortable or semi-comfortable existence, and that may be with your job, okay, that you have right now, a job, understand that you need to carve out elements and ways and time that besides having your job that are meeting your basic needs, that you are building your talent that will earn you the same amount of money that you're getting from your job that gives you your basic needs. Once your talent gives you the same amount of paycheck that you bring home from that job on a continuum, I try to tell people do it for at least six to nine months where you've got a, con you know, you've got a targeted audience that's wanting your services, programs or products or whatever. And once you get to that nine month mark, especially, and you see that you have customers, clients, and whatnot, and you have something, you have a viable something that they want, let go of the job and live out loud the rest of your life with your talents. That's what I do. That's what I do. I work at night in a rehabilitation center. Is that necessarily my talent? No. But by working at night, I make the money to feed myself, keep a roof over my head, have the occasional drink of water when I want it. And it gives me the daytime to live through my talents. I have done it so long now that now I am beginning to command a return on my investment that with working in a two to three hour span on my talents, I will make more than I make in a month at my job at night. It didn't happen overnight, but I knew I was worth the work. Again, it's not easy, but you can be smart about it. And you can realize you're worth the work. You're going to have to put in the work when you're starting out, but keep seeing your light at the end of the tunnel. And go and find other people that are like-minded like you that are already out of the tunnel. Again, we talked about, you know, emulating other people. So you don't necessarily have to do that. But start to put yourself in environments that are about your talents. That will keep your momentum going. You will have dialogue with other people. You will have peers in that environment to offset working at Winky Dinky Burger. Winky Dinky. Love it. You know, welcome to Winky Dinky. Okay, we're going to work at Winky Dinky for a while, but while we're working at Winky Dinky, let's be working over here in Everlasting. I am not the oracle or the person that says that I know everything. No, none of us are. All I live for is to empower other people to find who they really are up under their skins.
and live that life out loud. And guess what? The most exciting part about that is while I'm imparting and giving knowledge, they're giving me so much knowledge back. It is a win-win. And I'm falling in love with people who are falling in love with themselves and I'm making friendships out of business. It doesn't get much better for me than that. you enjoyed coco as much as i did as you can tell my mind was blown several times in the conversation first off with the concept of zoom that these things that people will pay so much to buy an experience whether it's a music you know a concert a certain film a certain product we don't even realize it but we're buying it because of that feeling that went into it that zoom that's imbued which is essentially the soul of whoever's making it I find that fascinating, and that if you can tap into it and apply that to whatever you're doing, it sounds like the sky's the limit because people are gonna—they're paying for you. That was quite magical, as well as um, the end, having a strategic plan for getting what you want. For example, you know it's hard to just kind of set out and get it immediately. You have to build towards it, and that might mean taking a job that, hey, maybe advances your skills get you around like-minded people but you've got something going and eventually you can just gently let it go and transition smoothly into the the job that really fits you like a like a neatly tucked sweater all right thanks again for listening i'll stop babbling as i'm prone to do um please send a message let me know how you like it share it with others we have a good review on itunes that's like the best thing ever Uh, otherwise have a great day Enjoy.